sort of in just like one sentence said to her something of, you know, Mrs. Smith, I'm wondering if you would consider making a, making a gift in memory of your husband and just to, to think of him and his contribution. And so would you like to make a gift of $3 million? And I was really shocked. Welcome back to One Visit Away with your host, Kevin Fitzpatrick. This show focuses on true stories of philanthropy in order to understand what it takes to succeed in major gift fundraising. Listen to these stories and you'll realize you're just one visit away from a transformational experience for your benefactors and your organization. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of One Visit Away. So if any of you have been a guest on the show, you have seen on the video call that we use my home office slash laundry room slash daughter's toy storage room. It's a very interesting room and currently, and that's that's where I do all the podcast recording and editing and I'm in here right now, but I am, this room is in shambles. Uh, Stuff is torn apart. It's a mess. The baseboards are taken out. I've got a fan running in here 24-7. It's a long story. This room is flooded several times, and the most recent one was uh, quite the experience. All (laughs) All I'll say, if you have a kitchen sink, this is a public service announcement, if you have a kitchen sink that is clogged, do not go to Home Depot and buy, uh, specifically buy the most powerful plunger that they sell and try to clear that blockage on your own because uh, bad things can happen. So this week, uh, I'm excited to introduce Rochelle Platter to all of you. Rochelle is the executive director of the Colorado 4-H Foundation and director of development for Colorado State University's Engagement and the College of Extended Education. Rochelle inspires others to discover their personal why and move toward changing the world by changing lives. I hope you enjoy this incredible conversation with Rochelle Platter. Well, welcome to One Visit Away, Rochelle. Thanks so much for being here. Oh, thank you so much, Kevin. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, of course. So it, this is a uh, an interesting one. So you, you saved me this week because... <laughs> I'm trying to get out an episode every Monday. This this is this, you know, crunch week of Thanksgiving and I'm I'm running out of time and so I didn't have a guest. So I posted on LinkedIn, I need somebody to help me out who can record during this 1-hour slot. You sent me a message with some great stories. I'm really excited to share those today, but if you could before we get into that just tell everybody a little bit about yourself and how you got into development. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Kevin. Yes, I saw your I saw your LinkedIn message and I thought, why not? That would be fun. So glad thank you for having me. So currently I I live in Fort Collins, Colorado. I work with Colorado State University, where I am the director of development for one of the ten divisions at CSU. Um, it's the Office of Engagement and the Extended Campus. So anyone that's familiar with land-grant universities, it's it's all part of the extension vision. Also, where we operate in all 64 Colorado counties. 
I'm also the executive director of the Colorado 4-H Foundation. So we are raising money to support 4-H programs throughout Colorado. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to it. You had some some really great stories and kind of related to your uh, related to your entry into development. You had a very interesting exposure to, uh, I think it was your first visit that you ever went on. You're so right. So you could... Yeah, yeah, tell us about that. This okay. is <laughs> nothing yes. like the first visit I went on, but yes, exactly. Well, well, thank you. And I, the thing I like about this too is that I've yet to meet a person in our fundraising development business that ever says I started out because I wanted to be a fundraiser. That right. is not common. Yeah, <laughs> it usually happens through some interesting experience, which is, as you said, is my case. So, in two thousand seven. I lived in another state, so this is not related to Colorado, which I just say because we all know it's important to keep all these donors and situations confidential. But so in 2007, I was actually uh, working more in the public relations and community impact area of a private school. And but because we were in the middle of a, we had just started a capital campaign to build a new building. So we were launching a $6 million campaign. And the person leading the fundraising efforts for this campaign uh, was chatting with me and invited me to participate in a meeting. So I mostly was an observer to see how all this worked. And so the, in the planning conversation with this particular potential donor who our organization had a relationship with, our, our lead fundraiser, we're looking at the different elements of how you decide what you want to ask a donor to contribute. So, you know, the typical metrics that people would use, looking at the relationship. So the decision was made to ask for a gift somewhere between a hundred and five hundred thousand, I think probably the target was two hundred and fifty thousand. So we go to the meeting and start having the conversation, and our lead fundraiser. Let's just give him a name for the sake of this, because this is not his real name, but we'll say John. Um. So John knew this donor quite well, Mrs. Smith, we'll call her. And uh, she was not, she was alone as, as the donor because her husband had passed away in the, sometime in the previous year. But the relationship with this donor had been established because Mr. Smith had been an inventor and had created some really great products that now are probably used in many, many businesses. But at the time, it was it was new, and so they were just beginning to make money. So they had made small gifts to our organization. Well, as Mrs. Smith continued talking about her husband and her fondness for him, then we rolled around to the conversation of the capital campaign, and John, our lead fundraiser, sort of in just like one sentence said to her something of, you know, Mrs. Smith, I'm wondering if you would consider making a making a gift in memory of your husband and just to to think of him and his contribution. And so 
would you like to make a gift of $3 million? And I was really shocked because I didn't think this is how this was supposed to go. You know, somehow we jumped from 250 to 3 million. So at that point I was very uncomfortable and I felt like, oh, this, this is terrible. Uh, you know, just pull my yeah, yeah. out already, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and then he did what I'd learned is one of the most important things you do in fundraising is that you ask the question and then you wait. And so what I felt was very uncomfortable wait, she got a little choked up and she said, thank you, John, for giving me the opportunity to make a really significant gift to honor my husband. And yes, I would like to do that. Wow. And I was just, I just blown away. And I think everyone was crying then. Wow. But what I saw on her face and I hand it to John because he sensed this whole, he sensed the moment. Yeah. Is and I think later she said, I almost would have been insulted if you would have asked me to sponsor a classroom for a hundred thousand dollars because my husband's life and legacy was so much more important than that. Yeah. So she pledged right there half of what we needed for the capital campaign. Wow. And then I observed, of course, how she was stewarded and we we honored every step along the way. And it it really transformed my understanding of fundraising that yeah. since we know the goal is to have transformational gifts instead of transactional gifts, it, of course, transformed our capital campaign, but it truly transformed Mrs. Smith's life by seeing how significantly she contributed. And she wouldn't even know that it transformed my life and my entire career trajectory. Wow. It was a fun moment. That is so cool. That I, <laughs> There's just everything about the story is amazing. And I, the first thing I want to ask, <laughs> seemingly unimportant, but do you know why John invited you to go on that visit? I think the goal was to probably capture elements of a story. Hmm. Because what I was doing was in our monthly newsletter, I was writing bits of story. Okay. Yeah, to, yeah. You know, to inspire other people. Um, I hope, too, that part of it was that I that I love connecting with people and I love trying to, even as you're looking at them, I try to look deep into their heart to understand who they are, what inspires them and get that sense before you ever go into the presentation and ask. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. So the, the other things I want to comment on what you so you, you mentioned, you know, you learn from John, when you mm -hmm. ask for a gift, you just have to be quiet yeah. and wait for them to respond. No matter how long or awkward it seems, you have to wait. And, you know, good, good on you for not saying anything, even though you were feeling extreme levels of awkwardness, because I've been in those situations where yeah. I've asked someone for a gift and someone mm -hmm. with me 
just starts talking and like, but you know, we know that if you, we know you got kids in college or whatever it is. (laughs) And, uh, and you just have to wait, wait for them to respond. And because then you get to know what they actually think about it and how they feel about it. Mm -hmm. And I love that. I love that John in the moment increased the ask amount so significantly (laughs) because, because this is the other key thing is you can't, you can't rely just on what is the, the metrics of what we think this person's capacity is. He was face to face understood how important it was to her Mm -hmm. and honoring the memory of her husband. And so, you know, made an ask that was appropriate for the actual relationship, not what a piece of paper or computer program said. That's, that's so true. And, you know, my, my current training now and how we do it in my current organization that I love is we do have the sophisticated screening right. and metrics, you know, yeah. as a large university, we have that. Yeah. And yet even we're my, my coach, my manager, you know, all our support team, we talk constantly about that very thing that yeah. this is just precursory information to know, but yeah. never let it define what you're actually going to request or what proposal you might give a donor. Yeah. Yeah, that's really great. Yeah, that I I still <laughs> I still just can't believe it. that was your first visit uh-huh. ever where yes. someone asked for a gift. <laughs> yes, I know. And I'm thinking, so is this really how you always do this? And I learned no, as very rare. Yeah, this is just uh, this is every Monday. You know, we, oh, right, we go right. in, we close a three million dollar gift, and then we just schedule the next one. That's uh... that's right. That's right. <laughs> Oh man, that is so cool. So tell me about how did, okay, so you were working in like PR and doing some writing stuff. Mm -hmm. You go on that visit and then what happened with you that at some point transitioned Mm -hmm. you into, into more of a direct, you know, visiting with people, asking people for money type role. Well, after that visit, he, John, who, um, led our, led our organization, he was not my direct boss. I had a different direct boss who was the director of advancement. We came back and I sat down in her office and I didn't, I didn't even, I didn't think about anything else. I didn't think about what am I going to say to her and how will this all happen? But I just sat down and said, that's what I want to do. That was everything that I'm interested in because I think the reason I was in marketing and communication was I valued the real life story that would be, that would relate to a person's heart that would make them want to be involved in our organization. And of course we are in a, you know, even there I was in a fundraising type of role, but I hadn't understood fundraising until that point. And so I just said to her, I love that connection. I love what I just watched happen. And I want to move in this direction. I don't know how to do it. And she, you know, so we had that conversation. And of course, she was greatly supportive of that. So it allowed me to pitch stories to our 
to our large Minneapolis press corps. And we got some great stories, of course, not based on that account, just of other things occurring in our organization. And so that was very successful. We, we completed our campaign. We raised the money. It was great. And, and then what happened is that another organization in town who I knew some people from reached out to me and said, we don't have a development office. We'd like you to come and start one. Would you do that? And I felt like, okay, this is a huge leap from, yeah, yeah. yeah from knowing that this is what I want to do to now being in charge and running it. That was pretty scary. Yeah. But I also have an entrepreneurial spirit, which yeah. probably is not unusual in fundraisers. Mm-hmm. It's that thinking outside of the box, figuring out how to get something done approach. So I explored the idea um, at the other at the same time, I came across a book that we chatted briefly about. Kevin, I don't know if we give book titles yeah. or not. But yeah, yeah, go for it. Yeah. The, we'll uh, link it in the description in the comment section. Great. Yeah, The Spirituality of Fundraising by Henry Nowen, or if you're more correct, it's like Henri <laughs> Nguyen. But he was he was a hey, we, yeah, we've got, let me, uh, we have quite a few listeners in Canada. Oh, and perfect. so someone, one of our <laughs> French speaking friends, please tell us the correct pronunciation. <laughs> yes. Um, but, you know, just who he was is he was, he was a French Catholic priest that had done many different things. And I'm not, I don't fully know his story as well as many people do. But this small little book that I read it, it just echoed and verified what I witnessed in that $3 million gift. Yes. I witnessed that there's no shame in asking people for money, that essentially what we are doing is we are sharing our journey and our passion, and we're inviting people to join us in the journey. And yes. therefore, when that connects with some with a donor's passion, their interests, they are they are almost looking for a way. How can I be a part of this? Because what you're doing is actually uh, so valuable in society that that's what I I want to come along with you. Yeah. And so I I caught I caught that spirit in that entire book, which you can sit down and read in one afternoon of Thanksgiving or one yeah. Saturday. Um, so that really motiv- that helped inspire me to have the courage to say, yes, I will come start a development office. Wow. And I went there and it was even more uh, in need of entrepreneurship than I realized. <laughs> <laughs> there was no donor database, no anything. Wait, so how many... Um... How, like how many employees did this organization have? Like in the in the whole thing, not yeah, in the whole thing. Well, uh, probably thirty. Okay. Thirty okay. employees. Cool. Yeah, so it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't as small as some of the organizations that we may all be looking at, but it was in education, and so okay, so, so they they had revenue from programs or something else that was allowing them to. Yes, at this the point, bill. they still were, they still were matching their tuition, 
and program fees with their expenses. Okay. But cool. the board, probably about a year before they asked me to come on, the board saw the trajectory. And, you know, we all look at birth rates over the mm-hmm. last 20 years. So we know, based upon birth rates, we know what the population is going to be. And then you can extrapolate from that historical information as it looks to your private school funding. Yeah. Okay. And there was going to be a gap. Okay. So, so they, you decide to do this, you read the book, you've got a hundred pages of knowledge (laughs) in you and you, you agree to this job and tell me about it. What, how did it go? It, it was great because at the fundamental level of fundraising, it's relationship building. Mm-hmm. And so I'd had a conversation with the board and I told them what was factual based upon what I learned. I didn't have the experience to know it. Yeah. But I said, based upon what I've learned with fundraising, we need to have an 18 month window that mm-hmm. you recognize that significant donations and fundraising might not occur for 12 yeah. to 18 months because this is a relationship business. Yeah. And thankfully they, they, they agreed with that and supported that. So as I said, there wasn't, there wasn't a CRM, a donor database. Mm-hmm. What there was, was here are the families who have children enrolled in this school. However, I quickly realized that when you are paying for a service, like education, typically the people paying the tuition view that as that they are already supporting the school. Right. Yeah. It's like, why can't you, why can't you get it done on the, are you just bad business people? Why can't you get it done on the the fee? Right. I'm paying you $10,000 for my student to be there. Are you telling me it costs more than that? And so of course, even, you know, we do the research and I learned that that the typical student going to a school that was funded publicly, you know, that the allotment per child was over $12,000 coming from the state. Yeah. So for us to be able to educate a child at $10,000 was remarkable. However, there were gaps. So, yeah. So honestly, the way I began my donor development um, was that I would observe what parents were coming into the, what parents were walking into the school with their child, what parents were volunteering in the classroom. <laughs> and even, of course, I started figuring out where did these parents work, trying to figure out what even my approach was going to be. So there were lots of different efforts. And at that point, the primary way of raising funds was through an annual gala. And I had already learned that fundraising is not event planning. And um, that was a difficult, if an organization is traditionally dependent upon transactions, it's going to be pretty frustrating. Yeah. And, And that was a challenge for sure. But what made the difference for me at that point as I as I did develop, okay, here are my top 10 prospects, either current parents, but really it's going to be previous parents or 
alumni, that sort of, yeah. you know, you're looking at that, that base. So that, that's what I pursued. And we started bringing in money and that was great. Um, one of my favorite encounters though, was as I got to know a particular family, uh, since we've already used Smith, we'll call these, this family, the Jones family. Yeah. As I got to know them, I was really, really surprised to learn that their family um, owned a very successful business that I had thought was a publicly held company because there were, they, they had quite a presence in our community. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then I learned it was a privately held company. And um, Mrs. Jones was involved in the school. And as she and I got to know each other and we were talking about events at the school and things like that, she made the comment to me, kind of offhanded, she said, um, well, you know, we've never had a babysitter for our children. And I think that's because some event we had coming up was adults only. Yeah. And I said, oh, and I've heard other people say that before. And she said, no, I mean, really, um, you know, if we've ever done anything, it's just either our parent, my parents or his parents that watch the kids. Yeah. And um, I'm a mom of six children, so I couldn't fathom how to make something like that work at all. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I didn't really probe too much. Again, as I read the room, which at this point was just her, I just knew there, were, there was more to the story, but it wasn't the time to go into that. Yeah. But what I did pick up on more than anything is that Mrs. Jones felt a strong protection over her children. And that that was probably going to be one of her highest values and deeply held. Mm. So I just kept that in mind. We continued to talk and grow our relationship, friendship. But it wasn't. I also could clearly see they had not been donors to our organization. And there was the capacity for that. So yeah. I just kind of mold that over for a while and continued on our regular projects and endeavors. Well, then at this point in time, it was really a sad time in education history in that kind of back to back over several months, there were, there were shootings across the country at different schools. And anyone who's ever been in a school situation like that, we know that time. Well, it was drastic. It took, over the full attention of everyone. Yeah. So we had a, a very, it, within our organization, with our board, we had this conversation about, so what are we going to do to protect our students? And we recognized we must do something. At that point, what we had was the doors to the building were locked during the day. And so you had to be buzzed in with a video camera. So there was, yeah, that was a fairly decent yeah. approach at that point. But as we read about some of these incidents that occurred at other schools and then how people responded, we realized, wow, we've got to do something significant. But as a small school, we didn't really have the way to quickly put a new program in place and be able to fund that. So 
within our within our leadership team, we had the conversation. And one thing we were considering doing is emailing all the families and saying, uh, basically, uh, you know, like almost a, a special fee tax or something, you know, that we were maybe just going to require everybody to add additional money in yeah. to their next month's tuition payment. Didn't No one felt good about that. Um, but we didn't know what else to do. And yeah. I also, you know, it obviously quickly came together in my mind. Security, safety, trust. Um, and I, so I actually stopped this board meeting and our staff meeting. What well, wasn't staff? It was the leadership team. And I said, you know, before we move forward on this, which I think could have some really negative impact on yeah. our families in other ways. For one thing, did we want to be alerting them that we didn't have in place what was necessary? Yeah. You know, just lots of potential issues. I said, um, I, I have one other avenue I'd like to pursue. So would you give me a couple days? I'd like to check into this. They said, sure. So I I called up Mrs. Jones and asked her if we could get together for lunch. We did. And I was just very honest with her. And I told her exactly what we were discussing, thinking about what our possible option would be in terms of asking all the families. And I said, but I also feel like maybe this is an appropriate time to come to you and your husband and ask you to consider if you would make a gift. And she responded really well overall. I, you know, as a bit of a, I think she was surprised somewhat that I was asking her about this, but she was very aware. And I came to realize she was thinking all the same questions. Is our school yeah. prepared? Yeah. And she said, well, let me go home and um, talk to my husband about this. And, um, oh, I forgot a really important part. <laughs> Just a few months beforehand, she walked into my office probably a day she had dropped off her kids. She walked into my office, closed my door and said, I want to give you this. And she handed me a check. She said, don't look at it now. And she said, and I'm giving this to you because today's my birthday. Hmm. And my husband asked me, what did I, he had asked me a while ago, what did I want for a present? And I said, the only thing I'd like is a check that you'd make out to your, to the school in the amount that you would give me for my birthday. That's all I want. And so they had never made a gift before. Wow. And so this check represented that. And wow. she said the only stipulation was I couldn't tell anybody where this money was from. And I think that is because they, being a successful business, they, they wanted to stay completely under the radar. So that right there told me, it showed me what her number one passion was. It was our school. Yeah. So that was amazing. So that was a really important part. So yeah, that that's amazing. It is amazing. It was very amazing. So this is now a couple several months later. She and I have this lunch. I mentioned this to her. She never asked me the amount even. So all she said was, "I'm going to talk to my husband." I thought, okay, I'm just going to leave it there. So the next day, she emailed me. She said they were very interested, and that he would like to come in and meet with me and our head of school. So of course that happened. 
Um, he was all business. He wanted to know what the cost would be. So I went back, put it all together. Obviously, we were already pursuing this, so we had the numbers. Yeah. I emailed it to him. And that afternoon, he emailed me back <laughs> and said, all right, um, here's my here's my proposal, though, is that I have a team of people that do these type of installations in my business. I don't think you could hire anybody as good as my people. He said, yeah. so what I will, what I'm offering is that we will fund <laughs> this project. So we will pay for the necessary components. And then I would like my team to come in and install it so that I have complete confidence that it's done right. Wow. Yeah. Wow. wow. He's right. And <laughs> so we had to quickly, of course, discuss this with the board and all of that. And so, I mean, it happened so fast, but within a week of my original request and ask, we had the check and the commitment for the installation, which then occurred. Wow. It was amazing. And that to me, again, brought tears to my eyes and this family felt the same way. They could do something very significant that mattered to them personally and they knew it would be significant to our organization and also to the other families that then weren't going to have to contribute to that. Yeah. Um, it was huge. Well, we continued our relationship, of course. And then a few months later, I had this idea just kind of popped into my head one day. And I, I saw her again and I said, you know, we need to add a board member to our school board. And so I thought of you. And right away she said, oh, well, my husband, and she said his name. Yeah, my husband, he's already on boards. He's very, very busy. I don't think he could do that. And I said, no, actually, I was thinking of you. Yeah. I would like you to be on our board. She was stunned. No one ever asked her to do that before. Huh. She saw her role as completely different. So we chatted about it and truly part of it is we needed a female voice on our yeah. board. Yeah. And so it was a process, but she joined the board and became a very effective communicator and advocate. Um, it was wonderful. It was great. Wow. wow. That's amazing. That's a, <laughs> you've got <laughs> such great stories and I love, uh, man, there's so many things. I, first off that, that $5,000 gift mm -hmm. where she wanted, you know, for my birthday, whatever you want to, you were going to get me spend that money, write it on a check to the, to the school. That is such that like outside of leaving oh. your organization in a will, I can't really think of a lot of things that say like I'm all in than uh, that. Right. Here is a completely unsolicited gift. Yeah. And, and, and like not, not, you know, here's money that we're giving away, but for whatever reason, it seems like giving was not something that was like a, a regular part of their life. Um, it, it, from what it sounds like in this story. So like, sh this was a real, she went out of her way, like, What's what's a way I can get at least some money to this school I care about so much? I can 
I can put aside myself and take it away from yeah. what my husband would give to me. Oh, it it's so true. And I know that they're very generous people. Yeah. So I just know we weren't in their top 10 of places okay. that they okay. give to. Um, and yes, it was, it was, but exactly right. I saw within her this unusual generosity. Um, today, you don't know this, Kevin. Today happens to be my birthday. Whoa, happy yeah. birthday. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And that's, awesome. I, so I, that's why this story is especially when you and I chatted, I really thought about this because, wow. you know, if my husband said, Rochelle, I'm going to give you a two carat diamond ring. Yeah. <laughs> I doubt that I would say, no, instead, please write that check too. <laughs> true confessions i feel a little bit guilty there but but yeah it's significant recognizing that wow man that's awesome that's so cool well we're really close because my birthday was uh was on friday oh well happy birthday yeah it's a great uh thanksgiving thanksgiving birthdays are isn't that i I agree a thanksgiving birthday is the best yeah yeah (laughs) that's so cool so Okay, so they gave the $5,000 gift. And then, uh, just so I understand, I'm curious. The When they agreed to do this installation of, it sounds like at least part of this was a security system of some mm-hmm. sort. Yes. The, the, the husband's business was not in security. He just <laughs> had a business large enough that they had to be doing security installations frequently enough that he exactly. had to go to. Okay. Right. Enterprise, enterprise, it was just part of what his IT corporate team did. Yeah. And it was really interesting to observe it because um, they came in and did it primarily over a weekend. Yeah. And then additional tweaks and stuff. But I happened to be in the facility during the weekend and I was blown away (laughs) because there were so many people and there were so many cords and wires and things. And I thought, Okay, we, you know, we wouldn't have been able to do this level of... Yeah, this wasn't the budget, uh, no, budget no, no, security no. installation. No, so he wasn't, he wasn't even looking to save us money, you know. Right. He yeah. was saying, let's get it done at 100%. Yeah, so like, uh, how, how, what do you think the value of this total gift was roughly? Are we talking like... Hundred thousand dollars. You know, I probably, I probably sh- can't really say. Okay, that's cool. Just that's 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 fine. It yeah. was it was it was a it was very significant contribution. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So okay, now the other thing, I'm going to ask you another question that you might not be able to answer, which is totally okay. Did you ever come to learn why they were so? Uh, cautious of you know other people and their children and that kind of thing. I did, I did, and I'll just say that um, over the course of my time there, and this is what's interesting to me is that it was after all these things happened, the gifts, the donations, the conversation, that she and I actually developed a pretty deep friendship. Yeah, where I I did learn about those things more. And 
I'm, I'm just going to keep it in that friendship circle there. Yeah. But that is an interesting thought and question because, I mean, ultimately, you know, we often find that our donors become friends. Mm-hmm. And when you ask, well, why is that? It's because we become a part of their life as we understand their story better. Yeah. And as we understand their passions, sometimes it doesn't become a part of what we know. And maybe it's not part of a friendship. But but I think oftentimes as we get to know their children in my current business now, I know that this particular donor is passionate about quarter horses. And so if I see news information or competitions, you know, I can just send them a clip here and there because that's what they care about. So what I saw through that though, is that our friendship and relationship deepened after the gift because there was more stewardship, more conversation. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So I love the other thing. Oh, so I think this is pretty obvious to everyone, but I just want to explicitly say it in case it's it's lost on some people. The just the phenomenal job that Rochelle did of like th- there's this whole process of you need to understand what's important to your benefactors so that you're not like what we never want to do is just be the annoying every time i see you i ask you for a gift every time you get a letter from me it's asking for money every email it's like goodness it's it's just annoying but when you but when you know what someone cares about and th- this is why philanthropy is such meaningful work uh is that you understand what someone cares about and you can present them with an opportunity that would cause them to be able to bring about the type of change they want in the world. And when you do that, it's a very positive experience for them. Just like with, with Mrs. Smith, I think we were calling her is we're, we're letting people do something incredibly meaningful with their wealth that everyone is going to them giving the gift, your organization receiving it and the beneficiaries, everyone is in a better place because of it. That, that's exactly true. And so, of course, here in over the, I don't know if we're calling it 10 months now of COVID, yeah. moving onward, I know one of the conversations we all have been having is, so how does fundraising look different? Mm-hmm. What's been very interesting to me to see exactly what you're saying is that there are still many people that have the means and want to bring about goodness in the world. Yeah. And so um, we've all had to pivot, maybe the most overused word <laughs> here. However, it's also true, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so some organizations that, well, I'm grateful that our organization now has been able to do that. Of course, we still have our own CSU needs at Colorado State. Yeah. But there's been such an effort to reach out to CSU students that are in need or whomever. So so that then as we have donors that do want to make a difference and give, we've created a new avenue for that to happen. Because keeping in mind the very thing that you're saying there, Kevin, is we want to bring about good in the world. 
And yes, looking, keeping your eyes and mind open, looking for those opportunities that are going to match with what that particular donor wants to see happen. This has just been a great conversation, Rochelle. I love all the stories you've shared and uh, how special that it happens to be on your birthday that we get to do this recording. And uh, mm-hmm. I look forward to man, we we You're welcome back anytime that you'd like to be a guest. I have to cut this one short early because I've got to get to a, another meeting. But this was phenomenal. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Kevin. I love just interacting. I love your passion and what you're doing in our space. So congratulations yeah. and happy birthday almost a week ago, but great. We'll look forward yeah, to Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thanks so okay. much, Michelle. Thank you. Okay. Bye. If you found this episode valuable, please subscribe to the show and leave a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to stay up to date on the show, you can like One Visit Away on Facebook or connect with me, Kevin Fitzpatrick, on LinkedIn. If you really want to help the show grow, please personally share this episode with other development professionals. I hope you enjoyed Rochelle's encouraging and entertaining words and are inspired to schedule more visits. Now, most of us are past the point of being able to have our first visit result in a $3 million gift, but you are just one visit away from a multi-million dollar gift to your organization.